Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Why in my are you office? in my office? <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Dave Tells Us About Wellington Central for our third and final episode of this mini-series. I'm talking with Grant Robinson from the Labour Party and, like the others, I just asked him to tell me his Wellington Central stump speech. Stump speech for Wellington Central starts by talking about COVID-19 because we have to acknowledge that it's going to be with us for some time. Uh, and that the work that we do to make sure that we protect New Zealanders' lives and livelihoods carries on. So I start my stump speech for talking about that. Uh, when I'm going further down into what happens for Wellington, three things, housing, transport and the arts are the three that I focus on when I'm talking. Um, obviously, we've got a massive issue with regard to housing um, in Wellington City in particular. We actually have quite a lot of building taking place at the moment, but we need more and we need more affordable housing and we need a better partnership between order on behalf of the government, um, the Wellington City Council and the various um, community housing providers, part of it. Transport, clearly, you know, let's get Wellington moving, needs to get moving. Uh, and obviously, you know, massive focus there for us on rapid transit, um, what we can do for walking and cycling, what we can do around the basin. So that's really important. And then I, I think the arts and creativity thing has been percolating in my mind for a while now, pre-COVID, but really brought into sharp relief by COVID. Uh, as a city, I think we have fallen behind Auckland in terms of the way we do arts, and we've always been so good at it, and it's been so central to who it, what it is to live here and also our economic offering. And so there's a huge amount of money actually on the table as part of the COVID response and recovery fund for the arts. It's about making sure that that is in Wellington, that it's strategically used. Uh, I could get into a whole lot of detail about this, but... Please don't. Please don't, exactly. But, you know, like, the way I think ATED in Auckland now encompasses everything they do from tourism to events to arts. Wellington NZ's meant to do that here, but I don't think it's done it yet. So yeah, and there's more, but you're starting to fall asleep. You're right. No, thank you. I appreciate that. That's the shortest one so far, and it's good. Um, why are you in the Labour Party? I joined the Labour Party in 1997 uh, after having spent six or so years involved in student politics and it was a tumultuous time and we fought uh, the introduction of user pays initially by a Labour government then carried on by the national government and I got to the end of, of that six or so years of, of you know trying to do good things for students but really feeling I wasn't getting anywhere and a friend uh, of mine, Michael Gibbs, encouraged me to join uh, the Labour Party because it was a way of getting things done. And I wasn't going to get 100% of the things that I was working on done, but I could join a party at that point led by Helen Clark that I thought was you know, heading in the direction of my beliefs around social justice. And, and that's why I'm still there. And Labour does get things done. The majority of the socially progressive changes in our history in New Zealand come from Labour governments. And as I say, it might not be 100% of everything all at once, but it's a party that can win government, hold government and make change. And that's why I want to be part of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a solid answer. Nothing there about workers, which is... Quite Social odd. justice. Social justice, okay. Um, did you think the Greens should have released the letter? <laughs> I don't think it would have mattered in any way whatsoever, but I, I am fascinated by the obsession of Chris Bishop and Nicola Willis with the letter. Yeah, it came up a lot when I when I spoke with, with Nicola, actually. Um, and in fact, 
uh, she got two questions to ask of James just because one of them was... Release the letter. Yeah. yeah. That's you, not really a question. No, oh, she said, question, will you help a sister out and release, release the, the letter? letter. Ah, right. So that does make it a question. Yeah. Good. And James What said did James no. say? No. no. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on transport around Wellington, uh, Nicola and Bish ran the Double the Tunnel campaign, which was quite successful in, in capturing the public's imagination. Were you annoyed that the words didn't quite rhyme? Double the tunnel. It doesn't, does no, it? No, and that's all. So yeah. I spoke to Nicola ages ago and suggested that she rename it Drill the Hill Phil, which <laughs> she she didn't go with. <laughs> she didn't do it. Missed opportunity. Yeah, look, I, I think alliteration's important. Yeah. And rhyming is important in any time you want people to remember things. So, yeah. So, and also, do you think we should have a second Mount Vic tunnel? Yeah, I do. Um, it's really important, though, that we get the sequencing of what we do in Wellington right and also what it is that goes through that tunnel right. Um, but yet, regardless of whether or not it's a public transport-based tunnel or whether or not we use it for different um, directional traffic flows, it will happen. Um, it needs to happen. The 1931 tunnel is still is not really enough for all of us. So, yeah, but we, you know, we've got to do this on the basis of the business cases that we get. They're a bit delayed, unfortunately, uh, but we will get them soon. So on that, Nicola's question yes. was, which Let's Get Wellington Moving projects do you commit will be underway by the next election? With underway defined as construction having commenced. Now before you answer, <laughs> I pointed out to her that that sounds like she's conceding that you'll be in government to be able to make that decision. And she very quickly texted back, uh, the premise for commitments is if he is in government, if he's not in government, the Mount Vic tunnel will be underway by the next election, which I thought sounded a bit like a threat. <laughs> well, I think that'll be a, a struggle um, regardless of who's in government. Um, for me, the priority is the public transport and the rapid transit work, and I definitely want to see that work started um, before 2023. Uh, but we've got to see whether or not the business cases stack up and the order of them stacks up. Okay. Who do you think is a better mayor of Wellington? Andy Foster... Or Mittens the cat. <laughs> Mittens certainly brings people together, you know, yeah. and 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 does lead uh, from time to time into venues and around there. Um, Andy's Andy's doing his best uh, as mayor. That is almost word for word what Nicholas said. <laughs> <laughs> Mittens, James is the grand for Mittens. Mittens is the grand coalition leader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I I wondered if maybe they both drank water out of the toilet, but no one was really prepared wow. to, to commit wow. to answering that. No. Why do you think um, Justin lost? Oh, lot, a couple of things, I think. Uh, the first is that uh, STV has an ability for when you grow candidates on one side of the political spectrum to push push the turnout up against that. And it really just became everybody versus Justin. Yeah. And and that then, you know, saw Andy just get over the line. Um, so I think there were there were things about that. I also think um, Justin was a little bit complacent, and him and I have talked about that, that, um, you know, he didn't really have an opponent. No one had appeared there. All of a sudden, Andy appeared, got, you know, Peter Jackson's back and got a bit of momentum out of that and then hoovered up the sort of, you know, people who didn't want Justin to carry on vote. So I think a combination of those two things. I still think Justin was an excellent mayor. I don't think he, he was exactly the kind of person who represents a lot of Wellington values. And, you know, I was really sad for him that he lost. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of him. 
That would be one of my... Here's my, that's my little pick. Little tip for you, David. He's one to watch. <laughs> exactly. All right. Back in 2008, when you first became MP for Wellington Central, in your maiden speech, you said, too many homes in this city are poorly insulated and overcrowded. This makes them unhealthy and energy inefficient. I believe we must, as a country, make a key priority the quality of our housing stock and the provision of adequate social housing. How is it that 12 years after that speech was made in successive governments, not just Labour, but national league government as well, this is still such an almighty clusterfuck? Mm. On the first part of that, that the Healthy Homes Guarantee work is designed to specifically address that. So that's now been passed into law and has been rolled out. So I think I can claim that we have addressed that. The second part of it around the provision of affordable social housing, yeah, look, we've just gone, we went from that period of time backwards the three years that we've had, we have built a significant number of, of state houses. Um, we've started to address the homelessness crisis and building of transitional houses and, and supporting people into more permanent housing. So I feel like we've made a start, but we did lose nine years in there. Do you think house prices need to go down? I think we need a period of sustained moderation in house prices. Um, I mean, in all seriousness, people losing the value, the value in that asset is going to be really hard for them. House prices have, you know, the trajectory of house prices has always been in New Zealand, if you take it over the, the trend, have been upwards. But clearly the massive house price inflation that comes with some of the bubbles we've seen in recent times is not good. Yeah, my house has earned more than I have. We just need to work harder, David. <laughs> <laughs> need to pull myself up by my bootstraps more. Um, so actually, I'll, just, I'll jump to James's question because it's somewhat pertinent to that. He wants to know what your thoughts are about the increasing wealth accumulation as a result of stimulus money increasing property and asset values. Yeah. There's two parts to the stimulus that we've done. Obviously, the fiscal stimulus that the, the government's put in place, we've tried to make sure that's directed to incomes and to supporting people to stay and work and create new jobs. The other side of it is the monetary policy effect, which is what James is alluding to. Um, we needed to get that liquidity moving in to keep banks, um, you know, being able to lend to encourage investment. The issue, of course, is that at the same time, one of the asset classes that people look at for that is housing. Uh, actually, Treasury were predicting that house prices would go down next year as unemployment rises. Yeah, but and then Treasury just makes shit up. Like, I... I think Sam Warburton keeps a record of Treasury's predictions, and I always thought there was some science or formula to it, but it's become very apparent to me that it's just... And the COVID thing is a good example of this, right? Like, all of the forecasts were, were utter disaster, and none of them have borne out. Like, right. even the most optimistic... But forecasting has is, is always been more of an art than a science, and, and it's based on modelling. And, of course, modelling is historical. Yeah. You know, you model what's happened. No then then you hit a 1 in 100 year event, and surprisingly enough, the model doesn't quite tell you the story. Yeah, no, I will concede that, but also that presupposes that they were getting it right before COVID. Well, that's also potentially true. I don't know. They, I remember when I first came in, Treasury were at pains to show me how they, their forecasting was, you know, they had all these others and they were compared and said, you know, we're not quite, we're the most accurate, but, you know, like we're, we're, we're near the front of the pack. <laughs> it's like business confidence surveys. They, it generates a lot of headlines, but it's ultimately... Yeah, the interesting thing, though, is that, of course... What the Treasury forecast is ultimately what governments then have to, well, it is yeah. what governments have to base their spending on. 
I mean, that's ultimately what a budget is, is Treasury saying to you, well, it's this much, this much, and this is much how much you've got to spend. So their forecasting matters at that, at that level. Way more than the 130 people that volunteer to fill out ANZ's business confidence survey. Indeed. Um, jumping back, because I missed this, what do you think of the spatial plan? Are you for higher densification of houses? We definitely need um, greater densification in Wellington, but I think it is possible to get the balance with the heritage values right. It just requires the Wellington City Council to be really clear and specific about how they're protecting heritage. So they've done a little bit of that. You know, they've got the odd street in Thorndon where they've said, yep, now we're going to leave this. But they've actually got to get down to house by house, do their work and say, we can protect heritage. What is heritage? Well, heritage is the beautiful buildings that were built in the colonial era in, in Wellington, but they're not all in a state to be able to survive forever. And that's fine. But I think we can protect that. It's just... It is the classic balance, you know, and the Wellington City Council's got to take the ball by the horns. But we can intensify all over the city, you know. We can do it. And in Malthick, you can actually see good examples of it that have already happened that are sensitive to the area. Same in Thorndon. And so it's totally doable. But the idea that we can just stay as we are is completely false because otherwise we will get nowhere near meeting the number of people that we need, a uh, number of houses that we need in the city. I went and read your Wikipedia page. Mine? Yes. God, I haven't looked at that for years. Yeah, well, don't... That's... I'm calling bullshit on that. I no, truly. All the time. I mean, no, there's a lot of ego surfing that goes on, <laughs> don't worry, but just not on the Wikipedia page, <laughs> that's all. But anyway, it Sorry. said something that I had never heard before. Okay. It said that during the 2005 election, you were referred to as H3. I was. Were you really? By Al Morrison. The then political editor of Radio New Zealand, now the, no, not the the deputy state services commissioner. I think he is now. He was head of DOT for a while. And you were H three. So H one. None of your names even start with H. I know. So H one here, the Helen. Helen. Ooh. Jeez. <laughs> Freudian. Mr. Freud. Mr. Freud. Um, H one Helen. H two Heather. And then yeah, he just called me H three. It was like, do you realise that H three is in fact a type of treated timber? No. Yeah. So, <laughs> arguably, could have been a reference to that. Yeah. Less yeah. complimentary. No, it was. It was. Um. It was. Yeah. He he decided that given my role backstopping Heather, that that's what that's what it was happening. Long time ago. Yeah, isn't it? I always yeah stop and reflect on how long ago Don Brash nearly racisted up the country. <laughs> it was a crazy election campaign that two thousand and five one. Because we did interest-free student loans. That's what got you over the line, in my Quite opinion. unexpectedly for a lot of people. Yes. And, and um, I remember talking to the now Labour candidate in Epson, Camilla Balich, who was the NZUSA president at the time. And she texted Bill English from the venue where we were making the announcement saying Labour's making interest-free loans, interest-free. And in, according to the story, he texted back saying, you're kidding. You know, it was like, yeah. <laughs> On the election night... I remember I was at a friend's house and we were watching it and I remember all the early results had national way out in front and Bill was actually texting me because I'd interned mm. from the previous year and it was all like, ha ha, we're getting in and then it got real quiet. As it was Mike Williams in the South Auckland booths. Yeah. That was, was, was the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 2008 when you ran, you beat out Stephen Franks. There is no question. I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, you got on the front bench in your first term. I did. Was that that doesn't happen a lot? I guess not. Hasn't um, happened this term. 
No, certainly not in, from a cabinet perspective. I'm just thinking about from the opposition perspective. Well, they've had a tumultuous <laughs> time. Yeah, so a lot they, of a lot of people have yes. been on the front bench. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, um, I, it was. Um, Phil Goff asked me to come on and do health. It was actually what it was about. We were, you know, Tony Ryle was an interesting minister of health in that he managed the portfolio. Yes. You know, I don't think he did a great deal that improved the health system, but he managed the portfolio and we were kind of trying to get in. And so um, I was asked to come come on down and do that. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I mean, I only had about like, just under a year at it. And health is a portfolio you do need to spend a lot of time getting to grips with. Oh, bad luck, David Clark. Mm. Um, I can't remember the year, but I remember when I interviewed you, you weren't, you, you you were no longer health and you were quite pleased to have left that. Yeah, it's not something I've sought. Yeah. <laughs> I've always thought you'd actually be a really good health minister because you have there's a level of empathy mm. required of the health minister that you seem to have. I get the balance. This is why Annette was such a good minister of health. You know, you do definitely need that, but it's also a system that is a black hole for money. Yeah. And so you've got to get that balance of being quite hard-headed about that but also empathetic and compassionate and yeah we can did that really well how come the um canterbury dhb bailout just seemed to suddenly pop up from nowhere and fly very much under the radar oh, i don't know particularly i mean chris went down there to talk to them and and we him and i are the two people who have to make the decision yeah. about what we call equity support in the health system and yeah we signed it off not very long ago so i think he just took the opportunity to talk about it when he was there uh I mean, it's, it, it is a hugely challenging area because, as will have been pointed out to people, really, that's just dealing with what's happened. You know, going forward, you've still got to find a way of, of them being able to at least get within cooey of their budget. Yeah, pay nurses. Well, the thing is, we do that. Um, the, you know, each DHB obviously has its own, you know, slightly different ways of addressing particular issues, but... You know, we put a lot of extra money into health and a lot of extra money has gone to the Canterbury DHB as well. So we're going to keep working with them. There's no reason for service cuts and I think that's a bit of a mythology um, but that's been built up down there. It's actually just about us supporting that DHB to be able, you know, to have a sustainable plan. I think we can do it. But yeah, no, no, Chris went down there to talk to them. So um, I saw that it was weird. I saw two stories from stuff almost like two different events. Yes. The Which first story yeah. was like, ruled it out, yeah. told them to live within their means. And then later on that evening, $180 million write-off. Like, it's yeah. a very confusing it's very period. Odd, very odd set of stories there. But it's only political losers like me that paid that much attention. Yeah, well, of course, you're a political loser. You're a politician. But mm. it's only people like me that pay that closely. I know. And so, um, mm. when I interviewed you last, you had lost the leadership race to David Cunliffe, which I think everyone in Labour can go, wow, what the fuck was that? But you said to me you still held leadership aspirations after David had served two or three terms as Prime Minister, is the quote that I recorded. Crikey. I know, which obviously was just straight-up political bullshit. Okay, so or that's some kind of hallucination <laughs> or, or some kind of experience, yeah. So we'll move past that. But do you, and I know that you've said now you've tried twice and you don't want to, but do you now have aspirations to be leader after Jacinda has served up 32 terms yeah, no, as Prime Minister? Not at all, no. I mean, I meant what I said back then, you know, I, I'd had two goes at it, um, and I've, you know, Jacinda's been so good 
And I'm. I know more, who wants to follow that. Well, I'm more exactly. I'm more than happy. <laughs> also, I'll be like about eighty-seven years old by the time it happens. So no, very, very happy supporting her as the leader. It wasn't until the twenty seventeen election that you actually won the party vote in Wellington Central. Mm. In fact, in twenty eleven and fourteen, the Greens got more party vote than Labor. And MMP, you all tell us party vote's the most important vote. So what do you what do you put that down to? Oh, we were they were the troubles. <laughs> um, you know, I mean we had we had that time in opposition where, you know, obviously after the first term two thousand eleven we hadn't got a lot of traction. Twenty fourteen was, you know, frankly a, disaster. A, a little bit of a disaster for us. And so that was reflected in that party vote. But then fantastic in twenty seventeen, uh, to come back and pretty optimistic about this time. All right, so just to bounce back to fiscal policy momentarily, you introduced, you proposed to introduce a new top tax rate at 180k, and that's fine. I love a progressive tax system, but this is still shouldering all the burden onto salaried workers and asset hoarders. I think everyone agrees that is on the right don't really pay their fair share. Uh, is, have you been as bold as you would have liked to have been? Well, I'm on the record, as Jacinda is as well, of having supported capital gains tax. Um, I understand that in our system, assets and wealth are not taxed in the same way as income. But we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, I have prioritised stability. I absolutely acknowledge that. Um, so obviously there are other things that could be done. I also, at the same time, am wary of the sort of silver bullet theory of, yeah. of politics at any time and capital gains tax or wealth tax. You know, got to be really careful that it isn't going to suddenly magically solve everything. It's because we it's something that we don't have that people look at it that way. So, but right now, honestly, it's just about stability and a plan. The next couple of years, three years, are going to be massively challenging for the New Zealand economy. And we thought that throwing the cards in the air on the tax system um, was not the right way to go. That is a little bit of a cop-out, though, because pre-COVID, you'd also had the opportunity to actually do some stuff. Uh, and some have said that you've been a better national finance minister. Who, who said that, David? Bill English. <laughs> Uh, I someone quite recently, and they were it from was the you. Media. No, it wasn't it was me. You. It wasn't. Was it? <laughs> I think it was. No, I said nice things about you in my columns. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. No, I thought it was on Twitter that you said that. Maybe you just retweeted someone saying it. Don't f read what I say on Twitter. It's just it's a terrible place. Anyway, you <laughs> don't, don't follow me. I don't disagree How with How do you that? know? Do I not follow you? No. Someone I, else must have retweeted you tweeting it's, somebody it's been, else. It's, it's like a rabbit for hole. years. Right. That you've, no, phone. I don't want, no, a, I don't want do your now. pity follow. I, I don't <laughs> want your pity follow. I'm going to do it now, mostly because I want to see whether it was you or not. How do you even do that? It was probably Morgan Godfrey. Probably. Oh, Morgan, he would he wouldn't call me sir. I would have liked that. What's your name? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Why are you in my office? Hang on, oh, there you are. Look at that. I don't... Oh, this is... It's just happened. Bullshit. It, this is... It, it literally has just happened. All right. Anyway, we'll come back to We'll come back to that. Yeah. So, do you think you've been... Like, people like me on the left, we think that you've been very centrist. Labour as a whole. Do you think you have? I think we've been progressive, but we have been, um, we've had to deal with a lot of things that have made us a little bit more cautious than someone like you might like. Yeah, but, and, but have you hugged that middle ground because 
Wow, holy shit, you're polling over 50%. Don't want to upset that. Uh, no, that's not what it's about. It is about, I mean, it is about bringing New Zealanders with us on what we're, we're trying to do here. And I've certainly, I think, it's reflective of, of certainly the way I've gone about my time in politics and similar to with Jacinda, that we do want to have enduring change. We do want to be able to make sure that the things that we talk about are embedded and carried through. It's a social democratic tradition. It isn't exactly what everybody else might want, but I do think it'll mean that the changes we, that we make stick. Okay. All right. So you, uh, as finance minister during a global pandemic, and there's been no playbook on what the fuck to do, did you lose sleep being the guy in charge of our economy during this period? Yes. <laughs> I can give you the single most direct answer. Yeah. Um, I'd say since since the beginning of March, a six-hour sleep is a major achievement for me um, at the moment. It has been really challenging. I mean, I'm still very proud of what we've done, not just as a government, but as a country. And there were, you know, all those cliches are completely true. There is no playbook. Um, you know, it, 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 I'm sitting there thinking, I remember when we did the March package, 17th of March package, which was over $12 billion, and we are all like, ooh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money to be spending. You know, we had to keep going. And I took that incredibly seriously. I was really, really concerned about people in those in first few weeks in particular around jobs and the loss of jobs. And it is the reason why we did the wage subsidy the way we did it was because I just knew people would see this and not know what to do, panic and inverted commas, and lay people off. And as I've gone around the country, I've met so many people, either the workers in the businesses or the owners themselves, who were in that state. And, you know, a couple of people literally said they were driving to work to tell their staff it was over. And then they realised they'd be eligible for wage subsidy and it gave them that 12-week window. So I, I definitely stressed about that and about what was happening and what was happening around the world and the health crisis itself. So, yeah. You haven't done that Obama-like ageing, though. Haven't I? No, I don't think so. What I have done, though, is a very un-Obama-like eating <laughs> I think everyone did. I, you know, I'm a stress eater. I freely admit that. And so, yeah, a few pounds to shed... What's your stress eating meal? Go-to. Yeah. My go-to stress eating. I eat a lot of cheese and bread. It's very bad for me. It is really bad, but also delicious. Very much so. Um, I just, I can't even, I was stressed for my business, but that, uh, you had the whole country to worry about, so mm. I can't even begin to understand what that must have been like to go through, and I hope you had good support networks. Definitely. Of the three main Wellington Central candidates that I am interviewing, you are the one that is 100% guaranteed to get back into Parliament. James is likely to. Nicola probably will. Isn't it worth Wellington Central voters voting for Nicola as the electorate MP so we get three MPs for the price of one? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, because apart from anything else, um, I think it's really important for Wellington Central to have an MP inside government, and uh, looking like that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I also like being... There's the a lot MP of talk that Central. James might be Deputy Prime Minister, and that would outrank you. Mm, that, that, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. And so, therefore, 
vote for James yeah. from based on your argument. I'd still be in government. <laughs> so, you know, I wouldn't be outside of government just if, if peering in the window to, that he got there um, to that role. So yeah, no, no, I think I'd still like to be the one at Central MP. Please. But you do do a lot of championing of the Highlanders on Twitter. This is true. I mean, I do have two Super Rugby teams and I know it's a controversial choice to have yeah. two Super Rugby teams. Uh, but I obviously grew up in Dunedin and it's very hard to dissociate myself from that because I spent most of my childhood watching rugby games. That was what I did. Yeah. And so I do both. Um, I actually am a big supporter of the Hurricanes because I've been to a lot more Hurricanes games than I've been to Islanders games. So in the 2015 here, it was an emotionally very challenged experience. Because I, well, honestly, it's one of the hardest rugby games I've ever watched. Have you seen that picture I tweeted out? A lot when he went through his troubles of Hamish from Cootha Southland. There's a photo yeah. of him just crying, even though they won. Interesting. Yeah. Was I don't I haven't seen that photo party because of course because you don't, don't follow, follow me. me on Twitter. You, yeah. See, this so is no, the, this do, is the gold do, you're missing. I do now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I sat there, um, just with unable to do anything during the game because I was so conflicted. But then when I when the Highlanders won, it I got the emotion because it's you know, I been through it i mean we didn't have the Ramsey shield for 57 years for god's sake you know so it's 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 massive actually it's not 57 years it was 1957 you've got it now yeah we do have it right now yes this weekend there's a game against hawks bay i believe yeah there's a, I don't someone think i'll get to watch that no. <laughs> we were at lords together for the final of the cricket world cup why do you have to bring it up? i know i actually couldn't watch cricket have you watched the game? No, I haven't. Not even, no so, highlights, no, no anything. So I've watched now, there's a really great little package on YouTube, of which is actually about Ian Smith. So it focuses on Ian Smith commentating. And so that's the only bit I've ever seen. And and I just I just can't. Yeah, it makes me feel ill if yeah. I think about it. Um, so what was worse, losing the 2008-11-14 elections or that Cricket World Cup final? It's the difference between a long, throbbing pain in your tooth and someone hitting you on your kneecaps with a hammer. Okay. So they're both painful. Um, one lasts a bit longer. But the, um, yeah, I mean, being at Lords was absolutely an incredible experience. Amazing. Amazing. And, and I, yeah, and, and so I've still got the positive emotion of that yeah. in there. But, yeah, just the gut wrench of that. Ugh. I know. I know. Do you know what it, the the really hard thing, as you will experience as a long term cricket fan slash tragic, is that there've been so many times in our cricketing history where we've got close, but you just knew we weren't going to win. Yeah, I actually thought we were going to win. That nah. was that was the thing that did me in. I, I actually thought we were going to win it. I thought we were more likely to win in twenty fifteen. Did you? Yeah. yeah no. I thought that McCullum was it was so such a plan yeah but he really should have bowled first um mm, true oh that game was just i'm sad i brought it up i can't even focus on the questions now <laughs> um you're a huge champion of women's sport which is great as minister of sport i don't think anyone has been as big a champion of it what can we be doing better just about everything frankly um and so that's what the strategy we've got's about um, we need to we need to lift um, the visibility more than we do. That's a joint effort between. Is that a role for government though? Codes, the, we've got a role to play in supporting the codes to do that. You know, making sure that we actually provide the funding that, that goes there. 
Um, one of the reasons that there's an issue there is because of commercial sponsorship. Yeah. Well, that's what helps lift the visibility. And I personally don't think some of the major codes particularly do enough to chase the sponsorship dollars, right at the moment, really hard, but up to previously to chase the sponsorship dollars like the Blackburns. I just think they're such a marketable team and I can't understand what, what's happened there. Um, we've got a, there's also the issue around the, how the money flows from trusts and so on. And I think, you know, Lewis and Wall's done quite some really interesting work on looking at where the money goes from the gaming trusts and so on as well, community trusts. So we could certainly do that better, I think. Um, we've got to be making sure there are more women in coaching positions. We, I've got some funding we've put together for that because, you know, of the carded professional coaches in New Zealand, tiny percentage of women and most of those are in netball. So massive job to do to do to be able to do that. Um, we've got to get a governance right, which we've got a plan for. So we're you know we're basically tagging funding to getting better balance in terms of of governance within the sport. Um, we've got to be providing more opportunities for young women to be able to transition through um, different age groups into different um, parts of the sporting area. Just it's it's a debut level. We've mm. made some really good starts, and it is about actually talking about it. And you know we've now got. Rugby 2021 World Cup, cricket now in 2022, football, which is going to be an amazing mm. event in 2023, and the International Working Group on Women in Sport across all of those years, well, up to the end of 22. So I just think we've got to use those events to really, really plug and push it. I still play club cricket, and uh, you? thank you, and Onslow. Um, I live in Naya, and I grew up in the ghetto of Kandala. Um, mean Streets. Exactly, and the greatest cricket game I ever played was um, Sophie Devine played for us because we were short and we cleared it with Cricket Wellington and she went out to bat and the team we were playing against were like, girl, and so they brought the field right up <laughs> and she baffed 88 off 32 balls and it was, it was, I got a duck that day, still the greatest game of cricket I've ever played. Playing with someone... That good, eh? It just lifts everyone. Like yeah. it's just an amazing, She's an amazing cricketer. Yeah, Sophie. phenomenal. Um, yeah. I saw her baff one from the uh, in the basin onto the top of the banks, which I actually see very few male cricketers yeah. do. We've just got to, yeah, we've just got to get in and support that. And you know, I am the White Ferns again. It's just getting international play, and this is where the government can only do so much. Yeah, you know, we have we we're there supporting the codes, but yeah, no, I'd like to see a whole lot more of that. When you put out your press release on a Sunday about there being a fiscal hole in Nationals' budget, were you shitting yourself? No. You weren't really nervous that this was going to be wrong? I see what you mean. Uh, no, no, we'd checked it a number of times um, and realised that it was the, the BFU numbers they were using, not the BFU numbers. And looked at that and looked at it again. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no, we weren't going to go out until we were sure. It's actually why it took a day, um, because I was on the road on the Friday and then on the Saturday we thought, hang on a minute. And that was why we, it took till Sunday to release it. So then how disappointed are you in your $140 billion typo? Which I will get ahead of and say is not the same thing at all, but still. Oh, of course it's disappointing. But it is uh, um, a mislabeled axis on a graph as opposed to a literal $8 billion hole. So, yeah, of course it's disappointing, but it's completely different. 
When James funded the Green School, I talked to him quite a lot about this. He was very frank. Mm. You and Chippy were very quick to distance yourself from it. But then the old Prime Minister, during the TV debate, she said it was a good idea. Mm. So what's with the dissonance? (laughs) It's a project that's going to employ people in a region that needs people to employ. It, It actually fulfills the criteria of the fund. The question is, was it the priority we wanted, given that there were other things to do? So it can still be both. I guess my point would be, and it's very much on the public record, is that when you are putting these things together, of course there's a bit of give and take with different people. There are so many good projects, you can fill them up multiple times over. James will have been very frank with you that he pushed hard for this. Well, yeah, except, so then the story comes out that he's allegedly holding effectively the entire shovel-ready projects to ransom unless this green school And there is no way on God's green earth that the associate finance minister from a confidence and supply party has that level of power to be able to do that. It's also not quite what happened either. So there were already, and I can't remember the percentage now, I remember we put it out publicly, of the projects that had already been announced. And it was going through in waves just finalising it. So we were at the sharp end of finalising the last block of projects. And, you know, I mean, he was, all ministers involved had to sign it off. It's on the public record what he said. He, um, I put it to him that it's actually been good for the Greens because it got them a lot of media coverage, which they struggled to get. And in the end, people were very clear that they were against the Green School and their polling has gone up. <laughs> so I said he should actually fund more private Green Schools and apologise more. I'd like to introduce you to an article about causation and correlation. That's what he said. And I'm, I've still... Uh, I, I've said... And I get asked it a lot, particularly on street corner meetings, interestingly. I've always said the Greens would get over the threshold. Their brand is really strong. Yeah, I know. When I worked there and then when I left, they were at 12%. Again, causation and correlation. <laughs> Let me introduce you. Um, who? Uh, so Nicola Willis said that she stands in sometimes uh, for uh, the PM for Judith Collins's debate prep. Who does that? Who's Judith Collins? Oh, you'll need to ask some other people that. Yeah, but you know. (laughs) Actually, I don't think it's been a single person. I think they've had different people. No one person could truly embody Judith Collins. You would need many people. That's true. I can't even begin to conceive of who it might be. Like, people would probably default to Megan. But Uh, don't don't assume that it has to be an MP. Oh, bloody old Andrew Campbell, eh? Him and Judith Collins, very similar (laughs) people. Um... I've actually got an idea who it might be. I won't say, because I like her too much. Um, who, from the other side of the house, would you be quite happy to have in your party? Mm, when you say the other side of the house, can I choose people who are in other parties but not sitting directly opposite me? People that are not your coalition partners or your confidence and supply partners. Um, is there anybody over the... I tell you... Um, I do think sometimes think Shane Letty's in the wrong party. Dr. Shane. Goodness, has he had the best PR I know. out of any national MP in the last few months. Well, he came along and seemed almost stable and, you know, like focused on the actual issues rather than the maelstrom and chaos they were creating around themselves, I think. Oh, they've done well. Is there a part of you, having been through the troubles, 
uh, that takes great joy in watching National implode? Um, look, cliche. We're focused, and this, but this is really true. I think when you're in government, focused on doing the job. I'm a lot less focused on what they're doing. When you're in opposition, you're incredibly focused on both yourself and the other side. When you're government, you've got jobs to do. You know, as ministers, and so I've been a lot less focused. Obviously, the turmoil of the three leaders um, this year—it's been incredibly evocative. <laughs> I'm glad you gave that last caveat because until then, it was a very politician-y answer. Mm. Um, okay, I'll wrap this up now. What is the best part of Wellington? Cooper Street and Unity Books. Oh, very nice. Can I can I put if I moved Unity Books to <laughs> till he would never agree to Cuba Street then it'd be fine. What's the worst? The wind. I oh, see. I don't even notice the wind. I have just sat for an hour at the Mahatma Gandhi birthday celebration. That down, is a particularly windy down by the railway <laughs> station. So it was your top of mind. Yeah. No, that's fair. Do, so okay, we with the heritage stuff we're talking about before. And this, uh, I'm reminded of it because it's one of the worst parts, according to James and Wellington. Can you get rid of the New Zealand Post building? I agree that that building is not in a good place. It's uh, horrendously ugly and it is like... In yeah, a, and it blocks a lot of yes. things. Yeah, it's been there for quite a long time. Yeah. I'm certainly, I'm certainly prepared to look into that for you, David. Thank you. And my other request is returning the Chevy's Cowboy to its rightful place on Gusney Street. I've said for several years I will vote for whomever promises that. Uh, I want to know when Molly Malone's is going to reopen. I just, I go past it and go, it's been closed for so long. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Okay. And Barney's. Bring back the 90s, Dave. That's a terrible time. Oh, God. Horrible memories of Barney's and Bojangles. (laughs) Which was... Confusing. Confusing for you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, is there a question you've never been asked that you've always wanted to answer? No one's probably ever asked me to name my ultimate New Zealand cricket lineup. Away you go then. No, oh, we haven't got time for that. I've got to do another interview in a minute. But I'll, I, yeah, my, I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm a fantasy selector. Yeah. You know, those things go on. But yeah, you know, no, I don't think I should. T- one thing I actually did always want to do, while I'm not ever going to be the Prime Minister was to select a Prime Minister's 11. I always used to like that idea in Australia, you know, how they yeah. have the, the Prime Minister's 11. So, yeah. Where, what where I would, would Jacinda play? Well, gee, you know, I could give her some advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be great, hey? Oh, and then they could play the touring teams. Yeah, we should right. introduce that. And so I, this is the thing. But you do then, because there's that horrendous clip of ScoMo trying to bowl... Yeah, that's the bit that you... But you just need to know where your limits yeah, are. Yeah, I'm always amazed at press advisors who allow their... Camp- I did that, though. There is a clip, and it's not pretty, of me bowling at the Lincoln Nets to Henry Nichols. Um, uh-huh. um, I, it was funny, because I haven't played club cricket for a long time, and we were opening these new nets at Lincoln, and I kind of stro- ambled in like you do when you're playing in the backyard... And of course, then sort of halfway through the bowling motion, I thought it's twenty-two yards, and so it wasn't. I, the next delivery was fine because I remembered you actually have to do something yeah. with your shoulders to get the ball to go down the other end. But there is a terrible clip of that. Oh, I'm gonna have to dig You're it out. Find it. Yeah, I will, and then I'll tweet it out. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, David.
Thank you, Grant. And I have actually gone looking for the file of Grant bowling like shit, and I have not yet been able to find it. That is the end of Dave Tells Us About Wellington Central. Uh, please subscribe, review if you want, uh, and tell your friends. Thank you.